practice. Thank you guys for coming, and here we go. Let's get started for today's lesson. Um, wonderful. Okay. I'm going to show it to you guys, and here we are. So, today's lesson is um, titled, The Blessing of Jesus and the Twelve Tribes. Now, here's... here's um, and I'm going to keep bringing this up because I think it's important for us to remember that when we look at the Bible and we look at the scriptures, we're constantly in this battle of, of this war of understanding what it's saying. Because you'll see many things about a lifestyle, a, a way that man should live, a way that people have to, have to quote unquote live. And what people don't understand most often about the Bible is that when you see those kinds of things like um, people take, you know, love your wife as Christ loves the church as some kind of um, decorated rule system that if I learn about Jesus's behaviors and I copy those behaviors and I try to practice them in my marriage, right, in a practical sense, then um, then I'm achieving what the Bible is commanding. But in reality, it's a it's a it's a, a bit of a, a light unto ourselves, because when we see these things in the Bible about a man actually loving his wife the way Christ loves the church, this is the end result of something more magnificent, more beautiful, and it's and it's the reality of taking the scriptures and seeing Jesus. How we're changed, how we're transformed, is by seeing Jesus in the scriptures is by meeting him through the Bible. And so uh, if you want to be a better parent, if you want to be a better brother, sister, family member, cousin, uncle, aunt, um, if you want to be a better coworker, if you want to be better at anything in your life, right? Um, you can make seven ten to ten steps on how you can achieve that. You can make a rule system that would guide you on how to become um, much better. You can do that. But here's what it'll achieve, just a self-righteousness, because you're doing it out of effort. So what we've understood is that when you try to achieve the holiness of the Bible on your own efforts, you are living beyond your transformation. You are living beyond the transformation that God has made in your life. The more trying we do, the more legalistic we become, the more attached we become to our effort. And when we fail, and when we struggle and when we battle, we become immediately impacted, emotionally, defeated, down and out, beat up, right? Because we've tried. You hear people all the time, I'm just trying. I'm trying so hard. I'm just trying. And then at the end of the day, it's like, well, what are you trying to do? Well, I'm just trying to do the right thing, right? It's this idea that I'm, I keep trying. So becoming a better person, becoming a uh, better Christian, a... Um, Becoming better at managing your finances isn't about trying more or doing more. Even when people get saved and they come to God and they're born again, what do they, what do they ask immediately? What do I have to do? What have, why, why do they say that? Because we present this immediate um, understanding to them that there's, there's something that you have to do, right? So salvation is a free gift. Yeah, God saves you, but then you have to keep, you have to maintain your salvation by doing good works, right? So we teach, yeah, there's a, there's a half and half truth that we're teaching that you hear taught in the church in general where it's like, okay, here's a um, salvation for free, but here's how you keep it. Here's how you maintain it, right? You do these, these level of efforts, these level of things, right? And if you don't do them, then what? You lost standing with God. 
right? We had a very good conversation on, um, what was it, <coughs> Tuesday night? <laughs> About um, how um, people... How people have the tendency to, um, when someone sins, to immediately tell them, like, well, you need to get right with God, right? You need to get right with God. That's what we hear. That's what we tell people who are in, quote, unquote, sin. Um, not knowing that we're always battling some kind of sin, whether it's a pride, a self-centeredness, an ego, right? A fear and doubt, which are also sins, which we can't see, which are immeasurable most of the time. And um, so, but what makes fear and doubt any less of a sin than fornication or murder in the eyes of God? N nothing. Yeah. So... <laughs> Reckless today, guys. I got it. Okay. Well. <laughs> and I just spilled water, so. Yeah. Um. Good thing you spilled it there. Yeah. Because the computer would have been like, now you gotta get right with God. Um. So, um, we'll just continue just for the sake of because we're recording. <laughs> um, so, seeing Jesus is of the utmost important thing. When we come to Bible study, when we come to church, when we come to any gathering, the center point of what, why we're here is to see Jesus. And this is why we do it the way we do it. People are going to come and they're going to be like, well, why don't they teach like this? Or why don't they teach that? Or why don't they teach, you know all these other things and um it's gonna be this <laughs> it's gonna be this battle because people constantly want to know what to do it's in our nature tell me what to do so that i can feel good about myself so i can achieve it and feel good about myself so I, and, and here's the thing when we accomplish tasks like that do you know that our body our mind chemically releases a chemical called dopamine Okay? And it's addic an addiction. So we become addicted to doing, just biologically speaking. Okay, Biologically speaking, we, we can become addicted to being righteous by our own efforts. So it's very dangerous. And this is why um, when we talk about the sinful nature, we're not always talking about these um, outlandish sins. We're talking about a self-will, a self-centered focus, a self-occupation, right? <coughs> and... Going into the scriptures, um, there's a story on the road to Emmaus. Um, it's called, it's often, um, it's often um, talked about and alluded to in our Bible studies, but I'm going to kind of go over it again and just kind of mention it. Um, and here, and we'll just read the first verse and I'll kind of give you guys some background to it. Um, Jesus has already resurrected. 
You know, one of the first things Jesus did when he resurrected was wipe away tears. One of the second things he did was visit these two people. They were on this road and they were going to a place called Emmaus. Okay, they're going to a city called Emmaus. Now, Jesus joined them on this journey. And so we pick up on the story and says, and so it was, well, they conversed and reasoned. So they were conversing and reasoning that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. So Jesus joins them, but he it's passive. He restrained their eyes. Their eyes were restrained by the Lord so that they couldn't see him. Okay. And here's the thing. They were sad. They were disappointed. Right. There was a disappointment. Why? Because they were they had an idea that Jesus was a means to an end. What does that mean? That he would be the king so that Israel again could be a kingdom. Okay? So they had this idea that Jesus was some form of means to an end. Okay, well, Jesus is not here. He died. He was supposed to, you know, uh, make Israel a kingdom again. <coughs> and they're down and out about it. Right? When, here, here's the thing. When Jesus isn't the focus we can become disappointed really fast. Okay? Even though, yeah, they want Jesus to be king, they're more focused on the kingdom. Have you ever made a prayer to God about something? Right? It, it's in, in, Your life can become about something good, right? But not Jesus. And that Jesus is a means to an end to get what you want. Right? Like he's like a Santa Claus to us sometimes in our minds where we will use Jesus as a means to an end. Oh, so he might be able to get me this. He might be able to get me that. Not understanding that getting him is the gift. Right? So this is what happens. Um, he said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and entered into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus began at Moses, meaning the Pentateuch. Penta means five, the first five books of the Bible. Okay, Genesis through Exodus. He's basically saying that he's revealing himself to them in the scriptures. There's no Galatians. There's no Corinthians. There's no Ephesians. There's no New Testament books yet. Okay, there's no Gospels. There's none of that. There's only the Old Testament. So what Jesus did is he pulled out the Old Testament, right? And he started showing them everything that was about him in the law and in the prophets, right? And he says, oh, foolish and slow of heart to believe. <coughs> and he told them they were slow to believe what? That Jesus was the answer, right? Now, verse 32 says, and they said to one another, did not our hearts... So Jesus leaves, okay? He leaves, he leaves them. Their eyes are open. They see that it's him. Because they see him in the scriptures. They see him in the scriptures first before they see him in person. Okay, and this gives every man on this earth the opportunity to see what? Jesus in the scriptures. The New Testament is to expedite that journey. That's what the New Testament's for, is to help us see Jesus faster. Okay? As the center of the entire Bible. Right? Which would be the Old Testament in this context. Right? So um, they said, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So their hearts burned for two reasons, because he was with them, right? And because he opened their eyes to see him in the scriptures. So their, their 
quote-unquote depression, their quote-unquote despair, their emptiness, their moment of sadness was exchanged for a burning in their heart once they saw Jesus. The remedy to what the world is suffering with is Jesus, is seeing him in the scriptures. But we do not hear enough of it preached. Blessed are the people who get to see Jesus revealed in the law and in the prophets and in the Psalms. Because those are the people, if when we see Jesus, the Bible says we become transformed. As we see him, as beholding in a mirror or in a glass, we see him, we're transformed into the same image. <coughs> the word should be transfigured, meaning that we are changed, trans, morphed into his figure, okay? By him, not by our own efforts. So here's the thing, focus on seeing Jesus. Focus on making him the center. Focus on looking for him in the Bible. Okay? We have permission to do what? To go through the Old Testament, right? And to see Jesus. So this is why we're going to the 12 tribes, right? We're only going to do four today. We're not going to do all 12, just so you know. <coughs> um, so, last verse. And he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I, <coughs> while I was still with you. That all the things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. <coughs> you can read the Bible, but without looking for Jesus, it's, it's a blur to us. It's confusion. Okay? If you try to understand the Bible without looking for Jesus, if you're not looking for him while you read, you're doing it wrong. And what will happen is everything will be a cloud and a shadow to you. I don't understand this. What's, what's, what's with the flood, right? What's with Sodom and Gomorrah? What's with this condemnation and, and this God of wrath and anger and, and fear? Why do I have to fear, right? Don't I want to get away from fear in my life? So it's important. I can't emphasize it enough. Here's the thing, to see Jesus, okay? In the near future, we're going to do a Bible study about the valuing the Word of God because it's important that we do that. Um, if we go back to the parable where Jesus spoke about um, about the sowing the seeds, right, and reaping a harvest, and some reaped one hundredfold, some not a hundredfold, some nothing at all. So the, the the word is the seeds, right? Okay, and it's sown. But here's the thing: how well you hear determines how much you're able to receive okay so this is why it's important to get a good night's rest this is why it's important to make sure that we are well in our physical bodies so that when we come to hear the word we can give all our attention to it because how well you hear determines the fruit that comes because oftentimes we don't value Bible study enough where it's like we overlook it. Oh, it's just another Bible study. Oh, we're just going to see Jesus again. No, it's the greatest privilege in the world to be able to go through the Bible and see Jesus again for the thousandth time. And it'll do more for you this time than it did last time. But here's the issue. You want to receive a hundredfold of that seed of the word in your life? You have to have the attentiveness to listen to hear not just hear the words like physically right we're talking about because you can read it and you're hearing it because you're reading it right it's playing in your head by your own words by your own by your own mind 
and you can be blessed by it that way. So we're saying the level of attention, the level of focus you give to hearing will determine the results. The better you hear, right? The better off you are. We go to the book of James. The Bible says, be doers of the word. What does it mean to be doers of the word? Doers as in hearers. He says, not hearers only in this sense. And then he says, a person who doesn't have fruit is like a person who looks in the mirror and forgets who he was. So it's a person who hears the word and forgets it. You, you can't become a doer of the word until you hear the word and you keep it in memory. Paul said, keep it in memory, right? Keep it in your mind, keep it in your memory. Why? Because once you forget it, this is why we come week after week after week after week to hear because we don't trust the flesh. We don't trust the flesh to keep, to maintain itself and to live off bread from yesterday. We need fresh bread, we need fresh manna, we need fresh from God so that we can be able to walk in this, in this strength in this transformation and it's day by day glory to glory right <coughs> so it's important to hear genesis 49 and jacob called to unto his sons and said gather yourselves together that i may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days gather yourselves together and hear and hear okay he's telling his sons to hear ye sons of jacob and hearken unto israel your father Okay, Jacob and Israel are the same person. And notice how he told them to hear twice. Hear what? What's going to befall you in what? The last days. <coughs> What's the last days? This is like... It's a rhetorical question. I'm going to answer it. <laughs> but the last days are not in that present moment when he's speaking, right? So he's not speaking, these, these things that he's gonna speak are not directly to his sons. They're to the tribes to come, okay? They're for the tribes to come. Now here's the key. If you go to Hebrews 1-2, it says this, God in, in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom hath appointed heir of all things by whom he also made the worlds. Okay, when Jesus was on the mountain of transfiguration, what does he say? This is my, God says, the voice of God comes and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. Above who? The law and the prophets, Moses and Elijah. So he's saying to hear Jesus. So God in the last days, you think the last days are like the end of the world? No. The last days of the law. Because when did Jesus speak? In the Gospels, right? During what? The last days of what? The law. The Bible says in the last days I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. The last days of what? The last days of the law. That's when God poured out his spirit upon the people, right? So, having complete clarity now, if we go back, right? He's going to tell them what? Jacob is going to tell his sons what's going to befall them in the time of the Gospels, in the time of the last days of the law, okay? What is going to befall them? So here's the thing. <coughs> now, we're going to be able to go into the Gospels. This is what we're going to do today. And we're going to go find Jesus, okay? We're going to look at these prophecies because that's what they are. They're prophecies. 
and we're going to go and we're going to look for Jesus in each prophecy concerning each tribe. Are we good? We're on the same page? Amen. <coughs> so, speaking of the last days of the law, Jesus is set to speak. Also, the prophecies of Jacob would be fulfilled through Christ because that is the channel in which God spoke in the last days of the law. Jesus is the voice that was used to speak in the last days of the law. So here's the things that will befall them. Okay, so we're going to start with Reuben. <clears throat> Genesis 49.3 Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might, the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity, the excellency of power, unstable as water. Ooh, this isn't, this isn't, it's not, not a good thing, right? And I'm going to just kind of ruin it real quick. Just this part is that um, Levi, Simeon, and Reuben are, are types of, of man. They represent man because you're going to see them always represented in their own strength. In their own strength. So he's what? What was Reuben to Jacob? Jake, Reuben was strength. He was mighty. He was excellency of dignity. And he was powerful. So he speaks highly of Jacob. But of Jacob's own self. Okay. It's, 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 it's really of Jacob's own self. <coughs> Verse 4. Unstable as water. Thou shalt not excel. So he's telling Reuben, you're not going to excel. Why? Because he's full of self-strength. Because thou wentest up to thy father's bed, thou defilest thou it, he went up to my couch. So he went and he slept with one of his father's concubines. Okay? So wayward sins happen when we are self-strong. Okay? The wayward sins happen when we are self-strong. I was actually talking to David like right now. We were talking about Jude chapter 1 verse 4 where it says they turn the grace of God into licentiousness. And I was sharing with him how it's talking about men, men of the law, men of condemnation, which is the ministry of the law, right? Taking grace, removing it for a, a lifestyle of sin. Okay? They took grace out, right? When you take grace out, when you take a, a lifestyle of dependence on Jesus, where it's all him, none of us, and you come with self-strength, right, by with your own obedience, that leads to licentiousness. Okay? If you are talking to your children legalistically and you remove grace from how you speak to them, it'll lead them to licentiousness. The strength of sin is the law. If you speak to your husband, to your wife, legalistically, what will happen is you'll lead them and you take the grace out of your speech. You will lead them to licentiousness. You will lead them to have a, to when they fail, to feel like they're at odds with you, to feel like they're at a distance with you because they have failed your standard. It works in all aspects of life. So when you see here him being self-strong, then you, you, Jacob says, you're not going to excel. And then he says, <coughs> he speaks about his wayward sin, where he sleeps with his father's wife, right? These kind of things happen, okay, in the body of Christ, because we teach people legalistically. These kinds of things do happen in churches, right? 
these kind of like wayward sins like this is weird like why is this happening this is like not normal you're like these people really are like cuckoo right that's, that's the kind of that's the kind of projection with your people well why because we're self-strong we're confident in the flesh we're confident that we can do the right thing and we let ourselves go into situations where we're tempted to compromise and we do right <coughs> so proverbs 334 says this surely he scorns the scornful but gives grace to the humble or he rejects the proud he rejects those who are self-strong right because they show no dependence on him but he gives grace to the humble to those that say in me is no good in me is i'm not going to trust myself right um, even in Philippians 3 3 we're not going to go through the tribe of Benjamin today but Paul is from the tribe of Benjamin and he says this for we are of the circumcision who worship God in spirit rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh so he says if you're a believer in Christ the lifestyle that we should be living is having no confidence in the flesh not trusting this body to perform right in in situations of temptation then he says this Though I might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. So he's saying that I'm a man of the law. If anyone has any right to be prideful about their own ability to abstain from doing evil things, that's me. But he says, that's not me. I'm, not, I'm still not going to rely on that. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. See, Benjamin's a tribe. Okay, that's double blessed above other tribes. So he has a pride also about his Benjamin. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin is not talked about the way Reuben is talked about. Okay? <coughs> He's not. He's talked about well. There's blessing for him. Right? This sounds more like, man, Reuben messing up. This, this is the same concept of when we seek to be justified by our works, we fall from grace. Right? It's the same conversation. So here's the funny part. Judas Iscariot is the only disciple, okay, that actually comes from the tribe of Reuben. Men of Kerioth. That's what Iscariot means. Judas Iscariot. A man or Ish, Ish Iscariot. And then with Kariat, which is the city that's in what? Reuben. It's in the land of Reuben. And guess what? Sorry. And guess what? There was no miracles done by Jesus in the Gospels in any of the territories of Reuben. Nothing was done. So he said, Reuben, you will not excel because you are self-strong. And in the time of the Gospels, you don't hear nothing about Reuben. And the only person from Reuben that we see in the Gospels is Judas Iscariot. And he's the one to betray Jesus. He's the one that comes from the self-strong tribe. Right? There's a pride. I'm the firstborn. I'm number one. Right? I'm on top. I'm smart. It's, an, it's, this, it's this pride that I got it. I can handle it. Right? And you're going to see, in contrast, you're going to see like tribes like Benjamin and Joseph and other, and other tribes where you'll see that the, the phrasing of the words will be, and the Lord made them strong. But with them, you see a different story. You see that they were strong in themselves, right? So um, that's, that's Reuben. That's an example of Reuben, okay? 
<coughs> the next verse is Simeon and Levi, and they're kind of joined together here. So our brethren, so they're close. And these are instruments of cruelty. So instruments of cruelty are in their habitations. O my soul, come not thou into their secret, unto their assembly, mine honor. Be not thou united, for in their anger they slew a man. So Simeon and Levi, in their anger, slew a man. And in their self-will, they dig down a wall. Cursed be their anger, for it was fierce, and their wrath, for it was cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. There's a lot here. Okay. <clears throat> Simeon and Levi are instruments of cruelty. Okay. They have a secret that their father doesn't want to know. <laughs> they slew a man. Okay, they slew a man. So, they have a sister. Do we know their, her name? It, it's like, if you're having lunch, what's, what's next to lunch? Dina. <laughs> Dina, dinner. <laughs> So they, so they had a sister and Simeon and Levi conjured up this plan because their sister got raped to kill a man. Okay. And here's the thing. This man re was repented. Yeah. They repented and everything and they came back. Okay. And um, the man who raped their sister wanted to make things right, was going to go to Jacob and talk about it, but then they ended up killing him before that happened. Now, um, then it says, verse 7, Cursed be their anger, for it was fierce, and their wrath, for it was cruel. Okay, so we need to understand this. This is, this is a weird... Remember, this, this has to happen in the last days. This is a prophecy for something in the last days. So watch. This actual part where it says they dig down a wall means that they made an ox sacrifice useless. In Hebrew, this phrasing means they made an ox sacrifice useless. So here's the thing. In their self-will, okay, self-will is what makes the sacrifices useless. We talk about Jesus, right? If you think that you're right with God by your works, it makes the sacrifice useless. It spits on the blood of Jesus. This is the Hebrews 6 sin. The Hebrews 10 sin. Where it talks about that one sin. That if you willfully sin after having knowledge of the truth. That means Jesus being enough. Jesus being everything. The only way I'm saved. The only way I make it to heaven is through Jesus. And then all of a sudden saying, well, um, but I'm also going to do this, this, and that. To add and make sure that I'm right with God by doing these things, right? Trying to add to the finished work. And so here, they made an ox sacrifice. You know what that means? They made the best, the most expensive, the most expensive sacrifice useless. They took, because remember Jesus and um, his parents, Mary and Joseph, what did they offer? Doves, right? Because they were poor. The law says if you're poor, offer doves. The law says when you're wealthy, you offer a what? An ox. So they took the best sacrifice, which we understand in this context now. We're looking for Jesus. Jesus. And they made him worthless and useless. By how? Through their self-will. 
when we are full of self-will, self-occupation, we make the sacrifice null and void, useless. Because our, our job is to see Jesus. Why? So we can depend on him. Peter, he starts sinking in the water when he's, he's walking on water. But when does he start sinking? When he takes his eyes off Jesus, right? Why do people get miracles? Because they see Jesus. Why do people get miracles? Because they see Jesus. They see him and they see him as the only option. The only way, right? So here's, here's some more revelation from this one, okay? Where is Levi and Simeon? Okay, we'll look on the map. You're going to find that on the map, you see that, um, well, Reuben is down here, okay? And you're going to see Simeon is inside of Judah, okay? You see that? It's inside of Judah. So let's go back real quick. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So he'll divide who in Jacob? He'll divide Simeon into Jacob. Because remember, who's first? Simeon. And Levi is what? And then Levi is scattered. Through where? Through all of Israel. Okay? Now, Deuteronomy 18.1 says this. The priests and Levites and all the tribe of Levi shall have no part in the inheritance with Israel. So here's the fulfillment. Here's part of the fulfillment. Nor um, they shall eat the offerings of the Lord made by fire and his inheritance for the Lord thy God hath chosen him out of all thy tribes to stand to minister in the name of the Lord, him and his sons forever. So Levi, okay, gave four generations later, gives birth to Moses and Aaron. Okay, do they come from the tribe of Levi? And Aaron is chosen as the high priest. Okay, here's the thing. Where do you see Levi? Or it's Levi, okay? If, if, a, if, a, Jew, if, if a Jewish person corrects you, it's Levi. But we say Levi, or might say Levi. You don't see because it came to pass. It came to pass. Yes, they got. Well, Deuteronomy 18.1 says this. They shall have no part nor inheritance with Israel. Do you see that? Mm -hmm. Who? Levi. Okay. It's going to get more interesting right now. Levi doesn't have a place and is scattered as promised. Okay. And Simeon has to share land with Judah. There's no record of anything happening in Simeon's land. There's no miracles that happen in Simeon's land. None. None. Guess, guess, who's, guess, guess who's from Simeon? Your boy Doubting Thomas. He's from the tribe of Simeon. Okay. Now, here's, here's something interesting. John 18, 12 says this. Then the band and the captain and officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him and led him away to Ananias. First, he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, which was the high priest the same year. Now, Caiaphas was he which gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. Caiaphas is a high priest. Where do high priests come from? What tribe? Levi. So Simeon and Levi did what? They slew a man and they made the offering null and void through self-will. What did Caiaphas just do? He slew a man. Yep. And made through his self-will for himself, made the offering of Jesus nothing. Okay. 
So you see the fulfillment in the Gospels. Here's the thing. In the last days means that it has to be in the Gospels. This is why we're looking for the answers in the Gospels. Right? We're not just making stuff up. We're not just, okay, we're going to do whatever we want just to try and see Jesus. No, 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 no. We're not going to violate the scriptures like that. Does that make sense? Okay. So you see Levi, right? And you see what they're doing. You guys ready for the next one? Um, it's different than Peter's name. It's C-A-I-A-P-H. Yes. So, and here, here's the cool part is that obviously his name means rock too, right? Law. Law, right? He's a representation of the law. Okay, making what? Jesus sacrificed void. Right? He's a representation of the law. Slaying a man. Right? It's the law. It's the strength of sin is the law. And sin is what slays man. Right? So you see the, all these types and examples of what we teach and preach. And we have permission to see Jesus in all of this. Right? Because the person of grace is the person that says, I don't trust this body to do the right thing. I'm not going to trust my own efforts, my own self-will, my own power, right? I'm going to rely on Jesus. Um, Genesis 49:19. Gad. Here's a beautiful scripture. Gad, a troop shall overcome him, but he shall come, overcome at the last. Here's, I'm just going to say this to you guys right now. Yes, a troop may overcome you. Money problems may overcome you. Personal problems may overcome you. Situations may fall out. People may overcome you. But at the end of the day, you win. You win. Okay? You win. And here's another way to say it. And all things work together for the good to them that love God and are called according to His purpose. You can expect good to come out of whatever chaos you're in right now. Good will come from it. Good will come from it. It's hard to see, but here's the thing about trust. Trust says, I don't need to see it. I'm okay with trusting that it will happen, right? It's going to happen because God said it will happen. So here, we get to Gad. Gad is, we, 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 we've done Reuben, Simeon, Levi. We're now on Gad, okay? So it's going to kind of take a little bit more of a positive um, upspin from here, all right? Because we're talking about Gad. So Luke 8.26 says this. And they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. Okay, do you see, do you, do you guys see it right there already? They sailed to where? Gadarenes. Okay, where are, they, where are they at? In the territory? Where's Jesus going right now? To the territory of Gad. Okay, so you, and here's the thing. He steps out onto the land. He, he meets a certain man from the city who had demons, the, the, the um, maniac of gathering, or people would say, or the, um, so he had demons for a long time and he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but was entombed. So this man was naked. Okay, so like he's naked full of demons, right? Living in a tomb. Okay. Here's the thing. If you're on the side of Galilee, 
because the Bible says in Mark that he actually would scream. You can hear, and I've studied this, and there's a lot of commentary on it, that you can actually hear the screams of this man from across the Sea of Galilee. It carries on the water. It actually will carry it the way the sea is positioned so that you could hear him from the other side. Okay, And this is going to be important because at the end of the story, this man ends up with clothes. We don't know how. So what, what's implied here is that Jesus heard him somewhere and said, I got to go. I got to go to Gadara. Okay, I got to go. I got to go to the Gadarenes. <coughs> then here's what happens. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What I have to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God, I beg you, do not torment me. For he commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had often seized him, and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, and he broke the bounds and was driven by the demons into the wilderness. So he would, he was, they would capture him, he's naked, right? He'd break out of the chains, and then he would run into the wilderness. So the naked man running into the wilderness, right? Just full of demons. The demons would seize him, meaning that they weren't in full possession the whole time. They would come upon him at certain times, make him super strong, and he would break the chains, and then he would run to the wilderness, then they would go capture him, bring him back, and it would be a cycle, okay, that happened with this man. <coughs> For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out. Uh, verse 30. Jesus asked him, saying, What is your name? And he said, Legion. Okay, legion is four to six thousand devils. Okay, it's a representation of four to six thousand men, a band of men. Okay, here's here's another word for legion. Troop. 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 A band of men. It's the same. It's the same thing. What shall overcome Gad? A troop. But what will happen with Gad? They will overcome at last. What overcame the maniac of Gadarene? A legion. Right? But did he overcome at last? Yes. How long was he possessed? For a while. For a while. He dealt with this oppression for a long time. But it's when he saw Jesus. It's when he saw Jesus. Okay. Seeing Jesus is the answer. That what happened? He was able to worship. <coughs> he sends them into the waters. He casts out the demons, sends them into the pigs. The pigs end up going to the water. They suicide themselves. I actually had a friend in Bible school who who said it that way. He said like when we talked about the pigs, he said they suicided themselves because he was from China, so he had an accent. And so that was the way he phrased it. So I always, like, said that's what they did. Um, <coughs> so, Mark 5, 5, And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. Okay, and I, and I highlighted this part because we need to understand is that the way we are tortured in this life is through legalism using the law. If we think we're blessed by our obedience, we're cursed the same way. We're cursed by our disobedience, right? So when we base our, our standing with God on the law, what happens? We cut ourselves. We torment ourselves. I'm right with God one day, right? And then I'm not. 
and I'm right with God this day, and then I'm not. I failed today, so I'm not right with God anymore. That's torment. That's torture. That's like literally self-harm in a spiritual sense. Is that we put ourselves through torture to go back and forth in our minds that, oh, I'm right with God, or I'm not right with God. I'm right with God, I'm not right with God. <coughs> but Jesus says, I'll never leave you, never forsake you. Okay. on the same page we're doing good right okay um, last one we're going to do is Joseph okay um, I kind of jumped in between some of these because like I was going to do um, it's a car but I decided that um, it was it was one of those things where um, he's a strong donkey okay so I decided we would save that for Sunday wink wink <laughs> um, you know and it's kind of weird to say that right you're a strong donkey <laughs> it's like donkey represents man in a, in a way in the scriptures <coughs> so that can be interpreted so many ways but um, I went with Joseph I felt to go with Joseph because we spoke about something on the power of right believing when we taught that lesson, right? So um, this kind of falls in line with that a little bit. Joseph is a fruitful bow, meaning, he, it's the Hebrew word ben, meaning son, okay? He's a fruitful son, even a fruitful son by a well. Even a fruitful son by a well, whose branches run over the wall, Okay? This is a very beautiful prophecy. I mean, I know it sounds like super spiritual, right? It's like, this is so spiritual, guys. Um, but bow can also mean tree or branch. He's a fruitful branch, right? And you can see the fact that it's by the well. It's representing water. Water feeding the plant. The plant growing. The branch growing to a point where it goes over a wall. Okay? You kind of see that picture? But it also has the same concept of um, he's a fruitful son, right? A son by a well whose branches run over the wall. So, um, verse 24, but his boat abode in strength and the arm of his hands were made strong. So notice here with Joseph that his hands were made strong. He wasn't self-strong. By what? By the mighty hand of the God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. Right? He's a shepherd, the stone of Israel. Um, even by the, um, by the God of thy father, who shall help thee, and by the Almighty, who shall bless thee with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep, blessings of, meaning the grave, blessings of the grave. So, and this is why we, we, we speak of Joseph as a type of Jesus, where Jesus, you know, is, 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 he dies, the blessings came from the grave, right? Um, that life under blessings of the breast, blessings of the womb, right? The, the virgin birth, right? Um, the blessings of thy father have prevailed. Uh, the blessing of thy father have prevailed above the blessings of thy progenitors, which means his brothers. That the blessings of Joseph far exceed the blessings of his brothers. Okay, this is beautiful. And the up and the utmost bound of the everlasting hills, they shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of of the head of him that was separated from his brethren. Okay, so. And Jesus being separated from his brethren, sold for what? 
silver, Joseph sold for silver, right? The crown is on Jesus' head, the crown is on Joseph's head, right? It's from the one who's separated by his brother that the crown is put, right, on his head. Jesus, the king of the Jews, they put the crown of thorns on his head, right? So you're really looking at a, a real depiction of Jesus through this blessing of Joseph. But I want to focus on one thing, okay? And go to John 4, 5. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. So this is the only time that Joseph is mentioned in the Gospels. Okay. Now Jacob's well was there. Now we're talking about a well, right? That first sentence of the last of of, of Genesis forty nine. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the wall. I mean, on the well. And it was the sixth hour. Then cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then said the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, ask drink of me when I am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Okay. So here's what happens. Joseph, Jesus, is a fruitful son, even a fruitful son by a well. Okay, I, I'm not trying to mess with you, I promise. Jesus is a fruitful son, a fruitful son by a well whose branches run over the wall. The Bible says there's a partition, there's a wall between Jews and Gentiles. Okay, In this moment, the son, the fruitful son by the well, his branches, right, reach over the wall. And now he's about to bless a Samaritan woman who's a non-Jew. She's saying, I'm not a Jew. Why are you talking to me? Why are you talking to me? Not knowing that God has a blessing for her. He has a blessing and in, in, in here's the blessing. It's a revelation of himself. It's so that she can see him. It's so that she can see him. He had a need to go to Samaria. The Bible says. He must needs go to Samaria. <coughs> Do you see the beauty in this? Right? I mean, I get the little tingles, but I'm just saying the Bible is so beautiful and it's no book in the history of the world is this accurate with, with connections written by different authors. Yeah. So, verse 10, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that said to thee, Give me to drink, thou, wouldest, thou would have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. So, I'm going to say this part. If you know who Jesus is, he wouldn't be asking anything of you. He wouldn't be demanding anything from you. If you knew who he was, you would understand that he's not a God of demand through the law toward us because of our covenant but he's a god of supply so now now she he's saying that if you knew who i was you would be asking me for water but because she doesn't know who he is right he's starting off the conversation saying can i have water remember he's thirsty he's tired he's sitting on the well he's weary right the woman said unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. 
from whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. Verse 14. <coughs> but whoso drinketh of the water of him that um, drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up unto everlasting life. Is that here's the thing is that God's supply for you is so great and so tapped in with the eternal, okay? That when you decide to give, we give with the confidence that we're already provided for, even if we don't see it. We, we give because we have faith that we are already taken care of on the back end by Jesus. Okay? Because God has put a well inside of us. So we are willfully able to give water away to others because we know we have a well. In Jesus. Amen? That's, a, that's faith. Jesus will overlook a thousand people to find one person with living dynamic faith. And here's what faith is. It's the simplicity of saying it's not in me, it's all in you. And the only way it's going to happen is by you. It's no self-reliance. It's no confidence in the flesh. So um, the woman said unto them, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. She said unto her, Go, call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said unto her, Thou hast said, Well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom that thou nowest has is not thy husband. In that saidest thou truly, the woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet, our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye know not what you ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. <coughs> so Till this day, in Samaria, there's a high priest in Samaria that basically thinks that their city, the mountain in their city, is Jerusalem. Okay? But we already know that it's not, because Jerusalem is Jerusalem, right? Jerusalem is Jerusalem. And so she's has this same argument that they have today, that the Samaritans have till this day. Okay? Is that we worship in this mountain and you guys worship in that mountain. So like whatever you have for me is like I don't really need it because we what we're waiting for is for something to happen over here. Right? But Jesus is saying that no no no, here's a revelation of worship is that with me it doesn't matter where you worship. With me you can worship anywhere. You don't need another person to stand on your behalf. You can worship in contact and, and love on God yourself. Right? Even you as a Samaritan, he's talking to a Samaritan, a sinner, a woman that has more than five husbands. Right? So, in this reality, they know that they're dirty because they know that the Jews don't talk to them because they're dirty. Right? Because they're sinners, quote unquote. But he's telling her that you'll be able to worship in spite of who you are. In spite of your failures, in spite of your mistakes, in spite of what you think is lawful and not lawful. Okay? <coughs> then he says, but the hour come 
And now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is the spirit. They that worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said unto him, I know that the Messiah cometh, which is called the Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. So she just shuts, she's trying to shut him up now. And she's saying, well, when the Messiah comes, he'll tell us all things. Because Jesus is telling her all these things, right? And she's like, well, we're just going to wait for the Messiah. Because when he comes, he's going to tell us all things, right? She misses it. But then this is what Jesus says unto her. Jesus said, I that speak unto thee am he. So to, to a sinner, he reveals himself. Okay? And here's the thing. Will she believe him? Will she believe him? And upon this came the disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, what seekest thou or why talkest thou with her? The woman left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, Come and see a man which told me all the things that I ever did. Is this not the Christ? They went out of the city and came to him. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat that you to eat that ye know of not, that ye not know of. Therefore said the disciples to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus said unto him, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Meaning this, Jesus was revitalized. And didn't need physical food because his food was to bless her with a revelation of who he was. So when we take from Jesus, when we see Jesus, God is satisfied. You want to satisfy God? You want to please God? See him. See him in the scriptures. See that he's the Messiah. See that he's the answer. See that he's the hope. And trust it. And then go tell others about it. So wrapping up for today's lesson, Genesis 49:33 says, and when Jacob made an end of commanding his sons, so he speaks of all the blessings, right? He gathered up his feet into his bed, yielded up the ghosts and gathered unto his people. So he sealed the promises with the death. Okay? Once he speaks, they're unchangeable. He says the blessings, he dies, they become unchangeable, right? Here's the beauty about the Gospels and what happened with Jesus. Now, there was a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled it with a sponge, a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and gave up the ghost. The same way. But here's, here's, here's his words. It's done. It's finished. Your guilt and shame is done away with. It's finished. He didn't say it is finished. He said finished. In Greek, it's one word. Finished. Finished. He yells, he yells one word. It's finished. What's finished? He fulfilled the law. He satisfied the wrath of God for our disobedience. So that now when we have faith in him, we have standing with God. And he says finished. Then he dies. He seals the promise with his death. But it's what? Finished. Stop trying to work. And where he bowed his head, the word bowed his head, the Bible says the son of man has nowhere to lay his head, right, when he's alive. That means Jesus, when he was alive, had no place of rest. And the only time that he was able to rest, when he says, it is finished, your sins are paid for, it's done, he bows his head. It's the same Greek phrase. He bows his head, he lays his head, he rests his head, and then he gives up the ghost. 
The only time Jesus found rest was in saving us. Was in saving you and I. Was in making a way for us when there was no way. Okay? And... <coughs> any questions? Did we see Jesus? In Moses. Yes, because Genesis is one of the first five books of Moses. Right? Did we see things concerning him? Yes. 